Alright, there we go. Hello everyone, how's it going? Team here and this is BXJS Weekly episode 76, bringing you all the best JavaScript news in the podcast form. And uh, yeah, I mean, we don't really have that many things today. Not exactly sure what's going on. Uh, I mean, it is the middle of August, so maybe a lot of people are on vacations, but we do have quite a few interesting things to talk about. So let's get cracking with a getting started section where we could uh, talk about all the uh, introductory articles. The first one we got here today is how to build an admin panel with React. So I think it would be good if you're just starting with um, React.js and you're you know, not sure how exactly it works and you need some guidance on uh, building, I guess, admin panel in this specific case, but it also works for pretty much any CRUD applications because it is, well, I mean, it's quite generic, right? So if that sounds interesting, do check it out. It is a very good introductory article. Next one we got here is exploring the two sum interview question in JavaScript. This is a pretty deep dive into the two sum interview question uh, that is, in my opinion, completely annoying. And while I think I would solve it at one point, I, yeah, it's not, not, not my favorite one. <laughs> But nonetheless, you know, um, the article actually goes from the uh, very uh, simple like brute force solution showing that, okay, you can just, you know, do this through iteration, which totally works. And this is probably how I would solve it in the very beginning, then delving into the, uh, you know, deeper understanding of the problem itself of the ON squared complexity and how you can actually solve it in a more efficient manner, which is um, absolutely insane, but you know, it makes perfect sense, but it's, it's not an easy solution. <laughs> Uh, so if that sounds interesting, do check it out. There's definitely a really good write-up and uh, has some really good pointers here. Continuing, we got Scrape a site with Node.js and Cheerio in five minutes. A pretty nice introduction to scraping with Cheerio.js, which basically doesn't add the overhead like the, um, God damn it, I forgot the name of it, uh, Puppeteer or Selenium, which runs the whole browser, right? This is more like a parser uh, that provides you a selector similar to jQuery that you can just run over the HTML page and then extract whatever you want, which works uh, relatively well. I mean, for the websites that are not dynamic, obviously. So if you need to run JavaScript, that won't fly. But if you scrape the static content, that works really well. And I used it in quite a few projects. So if that sounds interesting, do check it out. It's a very good tutorial. Next thing we got here is introduction to Svelte. Yet another intro to Svelte and obviously Svelte 3, the new one. Um, and this time around is sort of goes a bit in depth into showing how exactly it works. How does it compare to uh, React.js? And also shows you how to use Svelte with GraphQL backend in this case. Um, is it the correct one or not? Am I confusing the articles now or not? No, this was not the one with GraphQL. God damn it. I've seen too many articles about Svelte um, in the past week. And okay, this one is just tutorial for Svelte uh, for the to-do lists and it's a quite good one. Um, is it really not the one with GraphQL? I am so confused right now. Yes, okay, it's just a tutorial to Svelte. So um, if you are still unsure about Svelte and if you are trying to figure out if you want it, then this is a very good starting point. Right, next thing we got here is five interesting use cases of JavaScript destructing. So this is, I guess, a bit of a more in-depth tutorial on JavaScript destructing and how it can help you in various cases. So it says there's five use cases, five specific cases where it is, you know, not your typical run-of-the-mill destructing. So first one is the swapping variables. It's actually a very handy thing to do. 
accessing and specific array items with the default values. This is also quite handy. Uh, immutable operations, as in you know that you can rest and spread uh, things on the um, when destructing to get the other parts of the object or array, which can also be handy. Uh, destructing iterables is probably something you uh, destructuring. De am I? Wait a second. Am I? Can like? I always thought there was two similar things. Destructing assignment. So we got, uh, but it is destructing, right? It's called destructing. So I'm okay. I am confused right now. I always thought it was destructing. Um, what is destructuring? Oh, okay. So destructuring. Okay. Have I pronounced? <laughs> have I been pronouncing this thing wrong all the time? It seems like I have. Okay, so destructing is actually not a thing and it is destructuring. Well, thank you for pointing it out, uh, Buell. Um, yeah, so I mean, I thought I, I like, <laughs> in my head, for some reason, destructuring and destructing has always been the same thing is, you know, you, you destroy it, right? So you, you anyway, kind of decompose it into parts. But that makes perfect sense. Okay, so it's destructuring, right? There we go. I learned something. <laughs> So, okay, continuing we have the fourth case to structuring iterables. If you didn't know you can destruct, uh, use the structuring on iterables. And yes, it works perfectly fine. And the last case is destructuring. It's so hard to say in comparison to destructing. God damn it. <laughs> now my life is never going to be the same. Okay, and the last case is destructuring dynamic properties, which um, also works pretty handy and uh, uh, basically yeah, allows you to just uh, do destructuring by passing the uh, I mean combining it with dynamic property um, creation or I guess assignment I'm not even sure how it's called properly in ES6 but uh, there we go so if you are just getting started with destructuring do check this one out it is actually quite good okay um, Continuing, we got logicless JSX. Um, the title is slightly confusing, but what the article talks about is uh, essentially moving out the logic from JSX and doing it within your own React component to simplify the rendering itself, to simplify the JSX and sort of make it logicless, right? So the uh, example in this case is this animal component that renders the name leg count and tells you if it's friendly or not uh, the friendliness uh, is defined uh, okay so sorry the um in case where there is not enough leg count and friendly uh, data is not provided it will render not enough data so which results in like tons of conditional rendering which i mean it's not terrible right but this is not the worst case scenario as you might imagine and the author goes through the explanation of how you can actually move that out to make it a lot nicer to work with, as in to, you know, pre-compute some properties and then move that out into a function and then make it basically one uh, simple function call that transforms the data that you actually get from properties into data you actually want to render and just render that, right? So it is very straightforward, but it's a very powerful technique. I think I've used it in a couple of times. I mean, majority of time, I don't really have anything against doing conditional renderings. But if you do have to do a lot of them, it, it, it might be a lot easier to just transform your data. So this is basically what the article is about. If that sounds interesting, do check out the details. It is a pretty good write-up. Okay, um, next thing we got here is how to reduce your Vue.js bundle size with Webpack. 
This is an article talking about the Vapak bundle sizes, uh, analyzing them and reducing them. In this specific case, it talk about uh, Vue.js, but um, majority of things that it actually covers are not Vue.js specific. So you can as well do that with, well, just about everything else. And uh, yeah, it just talks about, you know, how to use bundle analyzer to figure out what takes a lot of space in your bundle, how to figure out what library does it, how to figure out how to reduce that size. For example, in this case, you know, by uh, importing specific things from Lodash instead of importing the whole Lodash because it is tree shakeable and stuff like this. So I guess if you are just getting started with Webpack and you are not sure how to reduce your bundle size, how to use bundle analyzer and stuff like this, do check this one out. Again, there is some view specific things, uh, but most of the tips that it gives actually work perfectly fine for all of the Webpack um, projects. Okay. And the last thing we got in the getting started section is React hooks and RxJS or how React is meant to be. A pretty good write up on using RxJS with React hooks and how it actually simplifies quite a lot of things. Uh, there's also a very interesting approach to handling state using behavior, subject, uh, and hooks. Um, I mean, there, I think the moment hooks were introduced, there was like a lot of people in the RxJS community, including the maintainers and core team, who were like, look at this, it's so easy to hook up into React right now. And it is like, it makes it incredibly easy. So before, if you don't know, when you use uh, RxJS, if you never work with it, it's basically an observable. So you have to subscribe with a callback to the value, right? So obviously this didn't work well with the React classes because at some point, like in a component will mount or constructor or whatever, you have to subscribe to it. And then you have to dispose of subscription once your the component is removed. It's all annoying to set up and do, but with hooks, you can actually do it in a very simple manner using the use effect, right? And uh, this makes working with observables insanely easy. And uh, you get all the perks of the observables. This is essentially the nine lines of code that the uh, hook presented in the um, article does. This is all you have to know. So it's uh, super nice, super easy. And if you are interested in RxJS and React hooks, do check this one out. Okay. Now we are coming to the articles and news section. The first article of the week is building a full stack serverless application with Cloudflare workers. So this is, I mean, I guess you could consider this tutorial, but since the topic is so narrow, I just put it into articles and news section. It talks about the Cloudflare workers, which is this very specific uh, thing living on the edge of Cloudflare network that is kind of serverless, but not completely, you know, run anything you want. Um, it is a very interesting tutorial. It shows off how to build your own workers, how to deploy them, obviously. Uh, and it also shows what you can actually do with them. So this is like one of the things that you cannot really do everything with it, right? Because it's not really like a full fledged uh, JavaScript environment. It, it's running in the V8 isolates and doesn't really have access to uh, that many things. But there's nothing that's very interesting. So if you're curious about Cloudflare workers, and if you wanted to get started with them and you wanted to know, you know, how to build it, how to deploy it, what you can actually do with them, then this is a really good uh, write up on that. So do check it out. Next thing we got here is uh, Subsume JSON, aka JSON as a subset of ECMAScript. Uh, so there is apparently a proposal that uh, makes JSON a subscript of ECMAScript and apparently before it wasn't a subscript of ECMAScript. Uh, and the problem came down to the line separator and paragraph separator characters that apparently were valid in JSON, but were not valid in JavaScript. 
So if you would, you know, take this uh, constant that has the L separator, it will syntax error, right? And the same goes if you, even if you go through eval, it will still syntax error. And like, there's a pain in ass because you know you can have JSON that have them. JSON is perfectly valid, and when you try to load it into JavaScript, everything breaks, right? Or embedded into JavaScript is a better um, description. So ES2019 will now actually work perfectly fine with those separators, which makes a lot of things easier for embedding JSON into your application. Uh, and you know, uh, the article actually goes into depth describing it was actually there was like workarounds for that and everything, and it was a pain in the ass, and it was like security concerns related to that, which is insane. And uh, yeah, it just makes it a lot easier. So if you want details, do check it out. It is actually a pretty interesting write-up. And I personally didn't even know that was a thing. So I never encountered those line separator and paragraph separator characters. I guess my JSON was always pretty uniform and never I never had to deal with like super long strings that had anything like that. But uh, if you are working with that, then well, that's really good news for you. All right, next thing we got here is a broadcasting a dynamic YouTube video for Slipknot. Now, this is a very interesting write-up. This is not something I actually expected to see, but um, it's a cool nonetheless. So it's from one of the developers that did, a, I guess, a promo launch event for a new Slipknot album, uh, We Are Not Your Kind. And the idea was that they allowed people to take photos and um, share them to dynamically update the video that was broadcasted on YouTube. And this is the write-up of how exactly it was achieved with you know the dynamic player that they had that actually pulled the music from uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify. And then there was the whole setup for the streaming and the uh, image uploading from the users to the S3 bucket so that you can actually share your photos. So the idea is you know that people listen to album, they can actually uh, log in and listen to it directly on the web page and then share their photo of how they listen to it. And in the end, you will see the heat map of people who are uh, sharing that stuff in the real time on YouTube translation, I believe here. The streaming itself was super straightforward, just basically capturing the specific tab of a web app and uh, putting it on the YouTube. But uh, nonetheless, it's a really nice write-up on how they achieved that. It's a, it's not an amazingly tricky technology thing, but um, it is interesting. So if that sounds curious, do check it out. It is a pretty good write-up. Okay, I think that is it for the articles and news. Now we're coming to tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness. The first tip being uh, using scroll into view to show added elements to a container with overflow. So, you know, this idea when you have a container that contains a list of items and you add a new thing in there and normally it doesn't really show it, right? So if you're not in scroll, it will not show it and it can be annoying and it's obviously annoying for the user. So UX wise is definitely terrible. But you can just use a very nice um, dot scroll into view on a specific item, right? So in this case, the um, uh, the author uses vanilla JavaScript to add items, so he has a direct reference to items. So you can just use dot scroll into view to show the item that has been added, and that works relatively well. So if you are just getting started with vanilla JS, that might be a very nice tip for you. Okay, next thing we got here is a Blink intent to implement CSS modules version one. So this is uh, actually very, uh, on one hand, very exciting, on the other hand, very weird situation. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, hey Mehmatrix, welcome to the stream. Greetings from Istanbul, Turkey. Oh, nice, okay, that is quite far away. <laughs> but okay, continuing. So CSS modules version one, 
this is an intent to implement into the blink. There's a few interesting things about it. So number one, uh, note the contact emails here. This is actually the Microsoft Edge team doing this. Number two, this is CSS modules and they are now gonna be like, I mean, there's, there's a standard obviously going and they are now gonna be shipped into the core of one of the most popular browsers, right? Now they are not exactly working in the same way that the CSS modules work in say, you know, Webpack, React or whatever. So there's a slight differences in the specs. But uh, there's another thing, there's a whole, <clears throat> apologies, there's a whole drama going on right now because the team uh, behind Safari is trying to block the current spec and tries to change it in some strange way. And uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, at least, you know, to me as a developer who uses CSS modules as a part of like React workflow. But I guess it makes some sense to them, but there's like a whole Twitter drama unfolding around that. But I will be curious to see how the whole thing will unfold because yeah, Safari is... I, I I guess I would go as far as to say Safari is trying to hold back the web again, <laughs> which is kind of uh, sad and amusing at the same time. But uh, there you go. Nonetheless, if you are interested in CSS modules, do check this one out. It's actually pretty cool. Again, they work slightly differently from what typically works in the, uh, the way that it typically works in the um, bundlers and Webpack and React. But uh, it does still allow you to import styles from CSS within your ES modules, and then you can use those styles wherever you want, which is uh, quite nicely. Quite nice addition to the spec. So we'll be curious to see how it will unfold basically. Okay, next thing we got here is the uh, TC39 proposal ECMAScript regex match indices. And uh, this one is actually already stage three. I somehow completely missed it. Uh, but you know, it's a very small, nice addition to regexes that basically adds the indices for the matches that you can just get and know where exactly in the string this, this match occurs. It's really straightforward and it's already on stage three, which I guess because it is really straightforward. So we're probably gonna see it shipped in most of the browsers in quite soon. But you know, if you're working with regular expressions, that is a nice thing indeed. Hey Donna, welcome to the stream. Okay, continuing, we got the NPM blog, NPM CLI roadmap, summer 2019. So if you're curious what is going on with NPM command line interface and what are their plans for the future, and uh, then this is a pretty good write-up. So there's some remaining releases for V6. They're planned to fix a bunch of bugs and add some minor features to it. Then there's gonna be a V7 that is gonna have the installer refactor. Uh, the interesting bits for V7 is that they're adding support for workspaces that are gonna work similar to what Yarn has. And another interesting thing here is that they're gonna actually play nicer with yarn. They're gonna consider yarn lock. And if you have it, they're gonna use yarn lock instead of package lock JSON, which is kind of mind blowing to be honest. I did not expect them to do that. So npmv 7 will treat yarn lock as a valid source of information and will not create its own package lock JSON if the yarn lock is there and will just work with the yarn lock which means that you no longer will have like 25 different log files in your repo if uh, you try to use all of the package bundlers, or package, sorry, package managers. So it's a nice and welcome addition, I think. And there's yeah a bunch of other things, including dropping off uh, V6 and some other minor stuff. Um, they do not have release date for V7 yet, so it's all under work. The biggest thing obviously being the workspaces, but it's still cool to see that, you know, this sort of uh, work going towards that. 
Now the Tink, the feature that I probably am most excited about is gonna be in v version eight and uh, we have no timeline for that at all. Nonetheless, you know, if you're interested in more details, do check out the post. There is some interesting information here. Okay, continuing, we got uh, learn all about wrangling third-party JavaScript. It's a nice collection of uh, web.dev posts that teaches you how to deal with a third-party JavaScript and its impact on your code. Starting from what and why, going into the DevTools tricks, and my favorite one, there's this uh, last one, optimize third-party JavaScript, and my JavaScript is a bit blocked over here, uh, that basically has the interactive tutorial that teaches you how to debug. Where's my, I know that there should be, wait a second, where's my, okay, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, because apparently it just get blocked. There we go. So there's a glitch embed that literally has the project with third-party JavaScript as a tutorial that walks you through how to debug it, figure out what impacts your loading times the most and how to reduce that loading time essentially, right? So if you're working with third-party JavaScript, this is a very good starting point. Uh, hey Donna, thank you very much for your donation and for your continued support is always highly appreciated. Right, now we're coming to the releases section. Um, the first release of the week is the new React DevTools, which is the version four right now, that has a ton of changes and ton of new features, which is absolutely mind blowing. Bear in mind, it will not work with all the React versions. So it supports React DOM version 15 and 16. It will not work with anything uh, below that. It also doesn't work with current React Native version, but will start working with React Native 0.62, which should be released soon-ish. Now there is a ton of really cool features and my favorite thing about this release is probably uh, developers created, which is, is just insanely uh, detailed. So it literally shows you um, how you can, wait, wait, where's my, Where's my tooltips? Wait a second, this is block something. Uh, last time I used it, it had super nice uh, bubbles that basically highlighted things. I guess maybe it went away or something, there we go. But yeah, nonetheless, it's a really neat um, tutorial and it guides you through all the new features and all, I mean, I guess all the features in general. So if you're just getting started with React and wanted to know how the DevTools work, this is probably the best place to go. I thought it was, is it my ad block blocking it or something? There was supposed to be very nice effects. I am so confused right now. I definitely remember seeing them, but okay, whatever. You know what, <laughs> let's not spend time doing that. Okay, the next release we got here is V8 version 7.7, .7, uh, which comes with uh, some more performance improvements. Uh, so there's the lazy feedback allocation, which improves the um, heap sizes for popular websites for quite a bit. I mean, it's, you know, it's not mind-blowingly large, but still like two to 8% of V8 heap size reduction for stuff like Google Maps, Instagram, Facebook, which is quite impressive, especially for mobile devices. And then there's the WebAssembly background compilation, which is mind-blowingly insane, which improves the uh, speed up um, by like two to four times, even to six times in some cases, and 12 times when you have 16 threads, which is just crazy. So yes, I just love seeing stuff like this from the VA team, you know, it's like, hey, we just casually improved the um, WebAssembly compilation performance 12 times. 
yeah, it's like nothing, nothing major here. And there's, yeah, there's also like the Intel number format API, which is nice to see, I guess. And uh, yeah, it seems to be mostly performance focused release, but uh, yeah, it is released now. I think it is in the Chrome beta for now. So Chrome 77 stable coming in several weeks, which is gonna include that. Um, so nonetheless, quite exciting, uh, really cool stuff here. Okay, next release we got here is Create React App version 3.1.0. Uh, I believe there's already been a minor patch that fixes some bugs. The major highlight of the version being the ESLint 6 version with uh, experimental support for extending and customizing your ESLint config. And uh, yeah, the rest is like minor stuff. Um, so if you're using it, I guess, updates, ESLint 6 does bring some additional pains, but also fixes quite a lot of things. So it's definitely worth the upgrade. Okay, next release we got here is Parcel version 2.0 Alpha 1. So you can finally try out the Parcel 2, which uh, has quite a lot of improvements, including extensibility. So you can now customize and extend everything you want, which something uh, which is something Parcel 1 didn't actually allow you to do. It also should be a lot faster and uh, cache a lot more and parallelize even more. And it should be a lot more reliable. So... Yeah, I guess if you're using Parcel, do check it out. This seems to be a very nice upgrade. I will be curious to test it out once it releases into stable. For some reason, I never had much luck with Parcel. Like I really like the idea of, you know, just installing it and running and it worked perfectly fine for small projects and tiny experiments. But as soon as I started getting something more complex going, I always encountered some weird bugs that were usually known in the issue tracker and Parcel, uh, but were not addressed that forced me basically to switch to Webpack. I'm sitting here and hoping Parcel 2 will not have that problems for me and I will just be able to, you know, do Parcel, install Parcel, Parcel run and, and just start working because I do like that kind of thing in, in terms of, you know, the usability basically. But yeah, there we go. Okay, um, this is it for the releases. Now we come into the libraries and demos section. The first thing we got here today is the NVE, uh, Node Version Manager that allows you to run um, um, anything with a specific node version. The difference with NVM is that it's supposed to be a lot faster. It is working on Windows, does not require bash uh, because I believe it's just written in JavaScript itself basically. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, um, that's so sort of JavaScript alternative to NVM that is uh, works everywhere and is supposed to be faster. There is obviously also N and a bunch of other things that do the node version management, but maybe this one will work best for you. So do check it out. Again, you can install it with NPM, which is always quite nice to see. So if that sounds interesting, do check it out. Next thing we got here is MeSpeakJS, text to, text what? No, that's not a word. Text to speech on the web. So this is a fully client-side text to speech engine that works in any browser, including mobile versions, and is built by essentially taking the eSpeak engine uh, that is written in C++ and compiling it using Amscript and into WebAssembly and then providing the interface for it. Works pretty well. I mean, it's not amazing text-to-speech. Obviously, you know, the uh, enterprise solutions we have right now, like specifically Windows ones, are a lot better than this. And uh, we already have like web APIs for text-to-speech in Chrome at least which probably will gonna get standardized at some point. But nonetheless, for now, if you wanna run on all of the devices and if you don't wanna depend on, you know, availability of Chrome or something, 
then this is actually a pretty good option. It is GPL licensed, so keep that in mind. Otherwise it is, you know, right here, open source and everything. So do check it out if that sounds interesting. Next thing we got here is one password to rule an experiment on deterministic password generation and management. I always like the idea of, you know, deterministic password generation that essentially allows you to create a master password and then use a service name to derive a password for that service, right? And this one is a nice experiment in basically TypeScript that shows you how you can do that. Now, I wouldn't call that uh, final products. There is a product like this that is kind of, I guess, kind of a product. I mean, it's also open source uh, tool that's called Derive Pass from uh, Fedor and Dutny. And it's very nice. Uh, the problem is, you know, it cannot compete with something like Bitwarden, for example, because it simply doesn't have a lot of user experience feature that I need or expect from my password manager. But I really like the idea. And um, if you are curious about how to implement something like this, do check it out. It's also mobile friendly and everything. So yeah. Next thing we got here is console badge, create simple badges in browser console. I still have no idea why would anyone want that, but there you go. You can use console styling to create badges in console, uh, sort of like Shields IO, but inside of your console, which is, uh, yeah, quite, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a thing, so there you go. Right, next thing we got here is a Leo WebRTC, an event-based WebRTC library that makes it easy to embed real-time peer-to-peer communication into UI components. Uh, it also has the, um, I believe there was a React, yeah, there's a React wrapper uh, with a React Leo WebRTC components that, yeah, essentially it's sort of a nicer way of working with WebRTC from your UI. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, WebRTC is not exactly the easiest API to work with. So if you are looking at it and if you're planning to work with it, then do check this library out. Maybe it will help you and save you some time. Next thing we got here is DiffJoy, the React code base generator. Uh, so this is actually pretty cool. Like it is still sort of, you know, the early release and everything, but the idea is that you can choose the stack, then choose the UI kit. The star means that it's not yet implemented. For now, it only works with Bulma, but they have plans for Bootstrap and Material UI. You can choose the frameworks. For now, it's only React tab, but they are planning to add Next.js and maybe some stuff, like additional stuff in the end uh, later on. They have integrated authentication with Firebase and with Zero is coming uh, later on with not needed being also an option. And there's stuff as well like um, newsletter with MailChimp's, contact forms with Amazon SES or Google Sheets coming soon, analytics with Google Analytics or simple analytics and as well turning off. And you choose a template and uh, uh, what, what do you mean? Wait a second. I did, I think, yes, I did everything. Yes, please. Uh, and then once you choose all of that, you actually get to this editor that literally shows you all your pages, all the components in a very nice visual manner that you can uh, edit in any way you want. And then once you're done editing, you can just export the code either to Code Sandbox, which is a really nice touch, or just download the archive and have the whole project scaffolded for you with very fancy stuff. And yes, you can just basically edit the text over here and, you know, title. And once you save, it will, yeah, it's, it's almost a full-fledged website editor, which is pretty damn impressive. So if that sounds interesting to you, do check it out. Okay, next thing we got here is SQ literally, or I, 
Okay, I'm not sure how to read that. I guess SQ literally. It's a lightweight SQL query builder and uh, it actually looks quite nice. So I still cannot get around, like, I know that this is a valid syntax, right? So this is a template literal function calls and it is perfectly valid ES6 plus syntax or 2015 plus syntax. But it still looks weird to me because it's not that widely used, but yeah, it is valid. It is actually looks quite nice for query building. And uh, if you are looking for a query builder for SQL, then do check this one out. Maybe this is exactly what you wanted. Next thing we got here is ESLint plugin ESQuery. This is probably one of my favorite libraries this week. It's a simple user created ESLint rules right in the ESLint config. So it allows you to define any rules you want by addressing the nodes that are get parsed by the plugin and telling you what uh, the rules should do. So you can say, okay, if variable declaration is kind of var, then throw an error that says, please don't use var. And all, of, all it takes is essentially a very simple declaration in your ESLint. So if you ever wanted to roll your own ESLint rules, but didn't want to write the whole plugin, but just wanted something very simple like this, do check this one out, it's actually really cool. So it's like, you know, it allows you to go for like, okay, if, if there's an identifier and its name length is one, then say, please use longer identifier name. You can also do it as a warning or error and yeah, it seems to be really flexible, including like dynamic uh, name generation. If you have ESLint or CJS, you can actually write full functions in here to process the uh, results, which is yeah, extremely impressive. So yeah, uh, if that sounds interesting, do check it out. Next thing we got here is a X modern node router. This is actually, it says it's a router, but it's actually more like an alternative to ExpressJS, as I would call it like an HTTP framework, basically. It allows you to, um, yeah, it, it even looks very similar to um, ExpressJS. It's, and it has middleware compatibility with ExpressJS. So not exactly sure what's the difference with Express in it here. I don't think they mentioned that anywhere, but uh, looks nice. And it also supports TypeScript and everything. So I guess TypeScript support would be one of the core features. I'm not sure how is it with um, ExpressJS, but there you go. If that sounds interesting, do check it out. Next thing we got here is React Native FB login. Uh, React Native uh, Facebook login component without wrapping any Facebook Native web SDKs. Now, here's the thing. If you didn't know, if you never worked with mobile devices, if you use Facebook SDK and you include it into your mobile applications, Facebook will phone home every time the app is started. You don't even have to call the Facebook SDK. It will call Facebook and tell it that the app was started, there's like stuff on home happening and it will basically send analytics every time your app is started. Some people don't like it. And um, this component basically provides you a Facebook login without including SDK app into the mobile app, which basically saves you from those unnecessary SDK calls, which is uh, quite nice. So if you're working with Facebook and you were bothered by it, well, now you have an option to just include it without including the SDK itself, which is uh, quite nice. Okay. Next thing we got here is Nanook, a toolkit for testing, uh, for test case and test data creation. So the idea is that you have a spreadsheet with test case definition and Nanook converts it into the test cases and test data automatically. There is a lot of description of how that works. I was not able to go through all of that, but if that sounds interesting, do check it out. It looks pretty cool actually. Next thing we got here is NPKill 
a tool that allows you to list any node module directories in your system as well as any space they take up and then you can select which ones you want to erase. There's a very nice GIF demonstrating how exactly it works. It basically just scans your hard drive and shows you all the node modules folders and the sizes and then you can just hit a space bar to delete the ones that you don't want. Uh, very straightforward, very simple, but may be handy if you have a lot of node projects or JavaScript projects in your system. That's, they do tend to grow quite a bit, so that might be nice to run it from time to time. Okay, next thing we got here is Transloco, an annual, let me try that again. Angular internationalization done right. Uh, nicely looking Intel tool for Angular. So if you're working with Angular and if you are looking for an internationalization module, then do check this one out. It actually seems to be pretty fancy. And uh, yeah, maybe this is exactly what you were looking for. Right, next thing we got here, and I think this is the last uh, thing we got in libraries and demos section is JavaScript testing best practices, a collection of uh, JavaScript and Node.js testing best practices, 45 plus best practices. Again, I would not follow them, you know, not take all of this as an absolute thing, but there are some good advices in here. So do have a read through, do um, kind of try to understand what the author meant to say, but do not take it as the absolute, the only correct way of doing things, okay? This is like this, all, all of those things are majority of time very subjective or very use case specific. Nonetheless, it's a very good list and there are some very good advices in there. All right, that is it for the libraries and demos. I have two interesting things for you to close this off. The first is the article uh, that is titled The Order of Jason that talks about the um, very interesting bug in Java system, because of course it's gonna be Java, um, that expected the JSON to be ordered, as in the keys to be ordered in a very specific way. And um, yeah. <laughs> Also some insights into how the Fortune 500 companies with legacy systems works. If that sounds terrifying and interesting, do check it out. It's a very good read. It's not very big, but uh, yeah, it is very curious nonetheless. And the last thing I got here for today is the memory footprint of GUI toolkits. A pretty interesting comparison of the uh, memory footprint of a variety of UI toolkits, including Electron, Java, Flutter, and a bunch of other things. Uh, it compares the private memory usage. There is a description of how exactly it was tested and so on and so forth if you want to see that. Now I just want to highlight that the um, Electron is actually a lot more efficient, or not a lot more, but uh, on par with Java UIs. So if you tell, if you see people telling you that they prefer Electron over everything else, and uh, you know, if you're looking at the enterprise world, I can easily see why that would be. Obviously, if you take more lightweight things like Qt or other like Vulkan or C-based libraries, they're going to be a lot more efficient, which is uh, just expected. It is amazing to see stuff like XCB and Xlib that is basically take no memory at all. And uh, yeah, Vin API is also very impressive. Like, <laughs> look at this stuff. There's also like a raw data, like raw data table. So if you're interested, do check it out. It is curious. Like the, I was surprised at first to note the flutter was at the very top because it's supposed to be very efficient, but uh, there is an update to article, which was um, highlighted to me in Twitter, which basically says that flutter is still in early development. So basically all builds are debug builds, which means it includes like profiler, debugger and whatever, which obviously would make it a lot more memory hungry. 
But uh, yeah, that's basically it from my side. So this was BXS Weekly episode 76. As usual, you can find all the links on the GitHub. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to throw them into the chat right now. If not, then uh, you can always join our Discord server to talk to uh, me or any other people there directly. We'll be more than happy to answer your questions. Uh, as usual, if you have any links that you want to share, uh, feel free to send them uh, to me again via Discord, Twitter or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's basically it from my side. Doesn't seem like we have any more questions or suggestions from the chat. So thank you guys very much for watching. I hope you enjoyed the episodes. Uh, again, you can find all the links on GitHub or on bxjs.dev website. That is basically it from my side. Thank you guys very much for watching. I wish you um, awesome rest of the weekend or rest of the week if you're watching a VOD of this on YouTube or Twitch. And uh, yeah, see you guys next time. Bye.